Hello and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services partner for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, and data that help power their emerging markets business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is a fascinating new report on talent management from FSG's Latin America team titled Footprint Optimization as Change Management, Strategies for Successful Planning and Execution in LATAM. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group, and I will be moderating today's podcast. I'm joined in studio today by Christine Herlihy, an analyst on FSG's Latin America research team. As a reminder, this podcast and all of FSG's content is available via our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. Christine, welcome back, and thanks for joining me. Thanks, Rich. Great to be here. Let's get right into it. I, I want to work backwards, if we can, starting with the punchline, which is what, what is the key call to action for our clients from your research? It, it's the executive summary, if you will. Sure. So just to lay it out, what we mean when we talk about footprint optimization is where companies are placing their facilities within Latin America and broadly speaking, how many facilities they have. So when we talk about this topic, our research finds that you really need a methodological approach. Uh, you need a process that's defensible and it's very important to maintain stakeholder buy-in throughout the process. This is often a, a project that takes four to five years to really get the full benefit. So it's very important that you know that going into it and are able to maintain that buy-in throughout. Why now? What, like, why this report? Why this process right now? I mean, could you kind of kind of frame the challenge for us, the drivers, and, and ultimately what's at stake for our clients? Absolutely. So I think there are three main drivers that are causing our clients to take a look at their opt- or their organizational footprints now more than ever before. We look at what's happening in the global economy. We see, of course, in the wake of the financial crisis, that growth in developed economies remain stalled. So companies are counting on emerging markets to deliver profitability uh, and top-line growth. What you have seen in recent months is that the slowdown has actually spread to key emerging market economies. So we've seen growth in Brazil slow considerably in 2012 and now in 2013. What we've seen as a result is executives under a lot of pressure to reassess their cost structures and improve the organizational footprint in a way that allows them to better leverage scale. So what this often means for our clients is thinking about ways that they can reallocate resources, not necessarily taking them out of Brazil, but really maximizing every dollar spent there and ensuring that their structures position them to capture emerging opportunities in the Indian region, uh, as well as in Mexico. And, and some of this is also uh, a shifting in where the talent wars are going to take place in the future, preparing for those. Yeah, absolutely. So we've seen talent, of course, be a key pain point in Brazil for years now. What we expect is that it's going to become more difficult to find talented people in the Indian region as well. So a lot of it is leveraging talent where you do have it and finding out the best ways to get those people at an affordable price point. When we talk about what the stakes are for our clients, we've done surveys on this and our data reveals that Latin American executives are more likely than their emerging market peers in EMEA and APAC uh, to be tasked with decisions related to operational footprint. So for example, things like sourcing and supply chain decisions as well as product innovation are more likely to be left up to the regional and even country managers in Latin America relative to other regions. So essentially the stakes are higher and they're less likely to get direction from corporate in this area. In the report, you outline a three-step process to help clients uh, optimize their organizational footprint. Could you summarize, let's start with the process itself, summarize the process and then we can briefly uh, drill down uh, into each step. Sure. So the process itself essentially is chronological. So it follows the life cycle of the footprint optimization 
process, uh, the first step is to plan based on your desired outcome rather than working with a more traditional problem-solving approach. Next step in the process is to effectively manage expectations. So this goes from something as as elementary as building buy-in to the need for change to something much more tactical in in terms of building and maintaining buy-in for specific decisions that you're going to make. Finally, it's important to proactively evaluate the results throughout the life cycle of the process. So as soon as you begin executing on your proposed changes, uh, and then of course gradually over time, so that you're able to demonstrate the impact of your decisions, uh, as well as to you know raise a red flag if you're not likely to meet targets before you miss them, so that you can reallocate resources accordingly. And how does this dovetail into the strategic planning process that most of our clients go through on a pretty regular basis? This is a separate process, it's integrated with it, it's something that is done on a less frequent basis? Uh, in conversations with clients, we find that this sort of process is typically more ad hoc. It's not necessarily something that they integrate into their strategic planning cycle. However, our view is that it should be. It should be integrated to the extent possible, although the time horizon may be a bit different. So you may be looking at a three to four to even five-year time horizon versus your annual strategic planning process. Okay. And reports filled with extensive frameworks and tools for our clients to use. Um, before we get into some of the specifics, I'm, I'm just interested in the research approach you took here. What was, what was your methodology? How'd you go about doing the analysis? Sure. So our research in this piece is really comprised of two things. On the one hand, we had an extensive secondary research of the existing literature on a pretty wide range of management topics. So it's really everything from strategic planning to communication strategy, change management, pretty much everything you might expect since footprint optimization really does entail all of these different aspects. Uh, We also conducted extensive conversations with FSG clients, as well as FSG expert advisors. So if this is an issue that you face, we have a number of people in our network that can be valuable resources and really talk you through each step of the process along the way. Great. Let's get started in step one, uh, which you describe as plan based on desired outcomes, or uh, putting it more colloquially, beginning with the end in mind. You make an interesting point here that traditional problem solving doesn't work for this type of footprint planning. Why is that? When we say traditional problem solving, what we mean is a sort of approach where you begin by identifying the problems that maybe uh, are leading to suboptimal performance in the status quo. Typically, the way we work is we hypothesize about what might be causing these problems. We often don't go deep enough to look at the root causes, and even if we do, typically our solutions address the surface level of the problem without actually tackling the root cause. It's easier, it's how our minds work, and it's how mostly our resources are allocated. Uh, We often don't get the, the vision of the broader picture, so to speak. So our view is that this approach is not optimal because it's ultimately reactive. You're not able to plan based on how you expect things to evolve. You're always tying yourself to the limitations of your current decisions and your past decisions as well. Uh, So it's piecemeal, it's ad hoc, and you ultimately wind up with something that we call the Frankenhouse approach. You start off with a small house, you keep adding a room on, a room on, a room on. Over time, you wind up with a pretty hideous monstrosity of, you know, rooms piled upon rooms. It's not efficient, and you really lose the ability to leverage scale. Okay. And so this approach then is, what are the key stages in in what you would call outcome-based approach? Sure. So the approach that we are proposing as being optimal and as an alternative to more traditional approaches has four basic stages. And the first stage is really the most important. It sort of encapsulates the other four. Uh, You begin by defining what success will look like. So rather than working with your existing structure, you imagine a world where the plan's already been implemented and think, all right, what gains have I achieved from this process and what problems have I solved? From there, you get a set of of quantifiable long-term goals. The next step in the process is to break down these long-term goals into short-term objectives. 
You then weigh your competing options to reach each short-term goal. So for example, you want to realize cost savings. You have many options to do that. You can either eliminate headcount. You can perhaps scale back in a certain purchase order. There's, there's a wide range of options. And you have to weigh the costs and benefits of each one. Finally, once you've decided what actions you're actually going to take, you need to assign metrics and adjust KPIs accordingly to basically ensure that each individual's incentives are aligned with the desired outcome you want to reach. You, you, for each of those uh, sub-steps, if you will, of the first stage, you have very helpful details, and you go into the challenge uh, that at each one you would face, why it matters, and, and, and a proposed solution. We obviously can't cover every one of those, but I, I think it is worth, uh, as an example, drilling down into one. Which one would you recommend? It sounds like you thought the first one might be the most important, so maybe we can drill down on defining what, what good looks like or what success looks like? Sure. So I think, uh, as you mentioned, the first step is definitely the most important because it's the most uh, all-encompassing, if you will. So this is the way you move away from the reactive approach towards a proactive, holistic approach to, to outcome-based planning. So essentially what you need to do is ask yourself a couple questions and posit a couple hypotheticals. And you're focusing the whole time throughout this process on the end game. So what you want your organization to look like after these changes have been made. Uh, so a couple questions we, we throw out in this piece that you should consider. What are your key pain points today and how do you expect them to evolve over time? What would an ideal structure help you to do today that you're not able to do now? And four years from now, assume, for example, that the project has failed. What went wrong and what were the consequences? So basically this is helping you measure and gauge impact and assess what the impact might be if your desired plan is not reached. Then you flip it on its head and look at, all right, assume that the project was a success. Why did it go well? Who was involved? And how have they benefited? This is a way of helping you lay the groundwork for eventually making the case for the action steps you propose. Uh, Then you really need to hone in on the two key questions of this step, which are what will success look like and how will it be measured? It's very important always to begin with that idea that it does ultimately need to be quantifiable. Sounds like a good discipline to have for any any problem solving where you're not, you know, sort of reacting to a crisis. Absolutely. Obviously, crisis management, you know, something that you're not able to plan for is a bit of a different mindset. This really is intended to help you capture things that you are able to anticipate over the medium to longer term. And we see some of our, our, our best performing companies take this approach. Step two, then, is uh, effectively managing expectations. You outlined four uh, crucial steps here as well. Can you quickly walk through those? Sure. So when our experts talk to us about how this this process typically goes wrong, they really do talk about expectations management being key. Usually, optimization projects are well-designed and well-intentioned. They fail because stakeholders are not bought in or because they lose focus over time. So knowing that, going into it, the four steps are to begin by making a compelling and incremental case for change. So incremental, we mean not only do you need to break down what you're getting buy-in for, but also who you're reaching out to and who you're making the case to. So you want to make sure that everyone's bought into the need for change in the first place before you move into buying to getting buy-in for something as specific as, for example, opening an office in Lima. And so tie- tying that back to the, the, the point right now of why now is important is because uh, of this pivot to profitability and the shift that's occurring so that it's not it's not the the way we did business in the past where it was purely a growth mandate is now uh, changing. And so that's a that's a really important kind of uh, making the case for incremental change mm-hmm. argument. Exactly. And it goes to another thing, which I'll get to in just a moment. Uh, one way to make the case and to make sure that you're credible uh, is to reinforce buy-in by selecting new locations defensively. So it really is important to have an objective methodology here. And we have a tool, we will have a tool soon, that will help clients do that. 
Moving on to the third step, really, you need to ensure that corporate in particular is able and prepared to take the long view. So going back to your comment about the pivot to profitability, typically when we see footprint optimization unfold in the real world, it's a number that, a con- that corporate has received from an external consultant, for example, and a time frame that's often not realistic in terms of how long it will take to get the proposed benefits from the project. So it's very important to go into it knowing it will probably take three to four to even five years, not one year, not a couple months and that it will require upfront investment. So it's just important to set ground rules there, essentially. Finally, and this really is a step that's embedded throughout, you need to communicate effectively, efficiently, and often with everyone that will be impacted by the change. Given that um, this is three to five year timeframes, mm-hmm. and given that uh, so much changes in, in these emerging markets so quickly, I mean, just think since the beginning of the year in LATAM alone, mm-hmm. what we've seen unfold in sure. Brazil, what we've seen unfold in Venezuela, in Argentina, in Mexico as well. And so I guess the question is, three to five years seems like an eternity. How do you kind of reconcile the fact that you want to take a long view and you want to make these investments over the long term, but the reality is that, you know, everything happens in much quicker cycles these days? Well, I think there are two answers to that. One is that for investments like entering a new market, typically we do encourage our clients and support them as they strive to take the long view. So for example, Brazil is a case in point. We see opportunity there. We don't really see the magnitude of that opportunity diminishing, even though you do see near-term macroeconomic troubles and even political troubles now. So it is important to essentially gauge the magnitude of, our, of the opportunity and weigh that against the near-term disadvantages you may face. Uh, the other side of it is that Footprint optimization is a long-term process, and if you start and don't finish, you're not only incurring the sunk cost, but you're also incurring costs that you would eventually benefit from over time. Uh, So the important thing there is to tie KPIs, uh, essentially, which are typically annual, to a longer time horizon. So for example, something like eliminating certain functions so that you can open a shared service center. You're only going to get the cost savings and the efficiency gains once you actually get that center open and running. So to do that, you need to set goals so that managers are terminating people, hiring new people, opening, et cetera, moving towards implementation, essentially. And that's why the effective communication uh, Mm -hmm. and managing expectations is important. Exactly. Okay. Um, And then step three of uh, of the overall process is to proactively evaluate results. Uh, and I guess, what are some of the best practices you've observed uh, and, and would advocate that our clients go about adopting? So there are a couple of different recommendations we would have for this step in the process. Obviously, it's the longest in the sense that you've, once you begin execution, it really is a multi-year process. So what we recommend is that you use the metrics you've identified earlier to track your progress over time and build something which we've called a dashboard, but really can be just a, essentially a checklist to see how you're progressing towards your goals. And it's important that these indicators that you choose are forwards looking so that if you're not going to hit your targets, you know ahead of time, you know who's responsible, you know which stakeholders need to either adjust course or be reprimanded, essentially. Uh, And you can plan accordingly and reallocate resources. So if you're missing your hiring targets, for example, you you may need to reallocate towards HR. Um, additionally, it's very important to communicate the successes. Oftentimes, people focus on the failures and fail to communicate to everyone involved that there actually have been benefits. This is particularly important early on in the process so that the buy-in you've you know, worked really hard to get essentially becomes something that's more intrinsic, uh, that's able to build over time. Finally, we recommend not getting bogged down by sunk costs in the sense that if you do begin on this course of footprint optimization and some dramatic exogenous shock occurs that makes it completely unprofitable for you to continue, it's worth it to consider adjusting course. And it's better to do so earlier rather than later. 
One last question, Christine. You had mentioned uh, earlier about a tool that we're developing to help our clients, and, and could you talk a little bit about what that what that tool will actually be and how they can how they can use it? Absolutely. So the tool that we're going to be developing that really works in conjunction with this piece will be a headquarters site selection tool. Now, this tool right now is only for headquarters, but the methodology and the thought work behind it could really be applied to any decision you're going to make about site location. Essentially, what we'll have clients do is input their weights for a series of factors related to headquarters location. So these will include things like tax and infrastructure, regulatory environment, risk, availability of talent, and proximity to other opportunities in the region. From there, we'll basically wind up with a weighted average. And to get that weighted average, we will input our own scores for each city on each indicator. So the aggregated output will be a list ranked in order of desirability of possible headquarters locations for clients. Okay, great. And then uh, does that also marry with the client's um their own footprint, their ability to execute in those various sites and that sort of thing? Or is that an overlay that's kind of more qualitative they'd have to put in? Well, I think that uh, obviously that input will basically come when they look at how they weigh certain factors. So whatever's most important to them will be reflected in the output. So it's kind of classic FSG uh, data-driven decision frameworks. Exactly. Great. Christine, thank you so much. This has been really great. We've covered a lot of uh, terrain in a short amount of time. And in some ways, I think we've only scratched the surface of this fascinating topic. And and really, in in terms of all the detail that you've put in the report in terms of tools and frameworks and lots of interesting uh, insights. So I, I do look forward to continuing the conversation. As a reminder, you can speak with Christine or any of our FSG analysts at any time by simply reaching out via your account manager or directly. You can also access this full report and all of FSG's content on our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com or on our new iPad application. This concludes our podcast. Until next time, we wish you great outperformance in your emerging market portfolio.